She was an international gymnast. She's now moved into calisthenics. So, what's she got for Big Dipper? Yeah, oh, great. Look at that. Simone is tearing up the course. She looks light and extremely strong. A perfect contender to take on Bean Cross if she can make it there. Good control, just take some weight on your feet. She's got her eye on the time as well, hasn't she? Moving down the cargo net very nicely, staying compact, staying together. She comes to beam cross. Here we go. Oh, look at her strength, Ben. And power. She needs to conserve that, though, because we know that it's the second vertical strut that causes the problems. Yeah, she's got her legs helping her now, Ben, so she's fine. Just give your fingers a rest here, Simone. Oh, no, no, no. Get your legs back up, Simone. Now, take a moment, compose yourself. Oh, this God. is the hardest part, without doubt. Is she going to get enough traction, Kemi? At the moment, no. She's going to try again, knees tight. No, oh, I nearly went then, Kemi. She doesn't want to give up. Look at the determination on her face. Oh. She's got her eyes on it. Take a moment, no. That was Ninja Warrior Simone Mings, I'm Curtis Mansfield, and this is episode 5 of Hips and Dips. Simone is my first guest who can carry the title of World Champion. She's a truly inspirational woman who not only gives back to her sport through coaching, but now also gives back to her community through sport. Let me run some stats by you. 14 years competing as a gymnast. Three times London Youth Games champion, national level competitor, competed at international events for GB across Europe, including in Luxembourg. In calisthenics, she won Queen of the Bar in 2016, competed for three years at the top level, becoming UFO Pro World Champion in New York in 2017, and is the second fastest female athlete in Ninja Warrior. Now, I'm sure some of you are thinking that's all very interesting. But what about the injuries? Listen to this. Three bulging discs in her lower spine. Two keyhole surgeries for wrist injuries and membrane growth. Dislocated both shoulders and her left hip. Broken fingers, broken heel, double ankle sprain. Now, as a result of a combination of the weather forecast and the latest restrictions regarding travelling from tier 2 to tier 3 and so on, it's become necessary to record this interview via Zoom. Uh, now, anyone who knows me knows what I lack in sports and ability. I also lack in computer literacy. So please bear with me, and I hope the sound quality is as good as can be. This woman is the real deal. So sit back and be prepared to learn about gymnastics, calisthenics, and plant-based diets. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you Simone Mings. Right, Simone, it's lovely to meet you. It's a shame it can't be in person because I'd love to have witnessed you doing your thing. However, it's uh, a bit cold and a bit dark, so I think it's probably for the best. Definitely agree. Yeah, very good. Okay, um, so, so we start every week with this pretty broad question about how 2020 has affected your health, so from a physical, mental and social point of view. Um, so I'm interested to find out, yeah, so how have you found 2020? 
but also from a business perspective as well. It's been very interesting. In the first lockdown, I would find myself a lot more active. I was um, putting together a lot of the, the, the what is it? DIY stuff in the house. Well, my mind went there. So it's us and reading a lot more and being a lot more active. Whereas in the second one, I found myself working more. I'm guessing a lot of people during the first lockdown found themselves eating a bit too much and doing a lot of nothing. So in the second lockdown, I found that I was a lot more um, active and more doing a lot more clients than what I was in the first one. So business has definitely picked up and um, which made me feel a lot more productive so to speak. So did you shift all your clients online early on or did you manage to meet up with people? Um, I did one or two of them. Um, I started a couple near the end of the first lockdown and then I was doing Instagram live um, like free of charge um, videos as well so it makes up both. both okay um, so Simone you're actually in the presence of a fellow London Youth Games medalist um, I, in fact I love the London Youth Games I competed in uh, multiple sports hockey water polo swimming I tried to do it all um, and was part of the Croydon team that won the overall event. So let me just tell me some of your memories from what I think was on the highlights of my childhood. Um, well, I, funny enough, I actually done um, London Youth Games for gymnastics mainly. I, done, I won that three times, um, but I also won the netball in the London Youth Games for the junior team because you had the primary school and the secondary school one. So I won, um, my team was the first team in for the borough to win that in a good few years. I can't remember how many years it was, but we won the netball one and I've done a little bit of athletic, but didn't really. I think I was too short for running. The short legs with these girls that towered over me, I was probably the height of their legs. So <laughs> the running wasn't probably the best, but I mean, in terms of London Youth Games, it was a lot of fun, a lot of, um, met a lot of cool people, really friendly and, as you know, very competitive. Yeah, certainly. Um, I was held back by the short leg gene as well. So you certainly want to learn there. Um, so I, I'm interested, I suppose, in exploring your gymnastics journey. So we mentioned you won the London Youth Games three times, but obviously gymnastics is a sport which is um, always masked in controversy, whether that be sort of weight control or discrimination or abuse scandals. And it's always a sport which seems to present a lot of highs and lows, especially for young athletes. So just tell me a bit about sort of how you found gymnastics on the whole throughout that sort of long career of yours, that junior career. Well, it's, as you said, there is um, highs and lows to it. Um, in terms of, I'll start off with the um, dietary. Um, I mean, from a young age, my coach kind of said to me to start watching what I eat when I was around nine, 10 years old. 
which um, being that age, I definitely wouldn't approach somebody about their eating habit in that way. And I mean, a few years ago, my coach actually did ask me, how would I approach that matter when it comes to um, how her gymnasts um, eat? And I literally just said to her to talk to their parents, especially when they're at that age, um, they're not cooking their meals or they're not um preparing their food for them to be able to say okay this is what i'm going to eat or have the knowledge of um what their diet should be to be able to take the steps towards that so where my coach said to me um you need to watch what you eat if you start putting on too much weight then when you're doing your tumblings you'll put more extra pressure onto my wrist and my ankles and i could damage them at that age, I didn't know what that meant. I couldn't go to my mum and tell her what to cook. So I took that as I'm getting too fat, stop eating, which then um, that led to me only having like a sandwich at dinner. So my mum will cook something. So for my parents to know that I'm eating, um, if she was making, let's say, rice and chicken, I'll just put a chicken in two, um, two slices of bread and that'll be my dinner. Um, I would wake up late and just go straight to school so I wouldn't have any breakfast. At lunchtime, I wouldn't have any lunch and then I'll probably have a little snack just before gymnastics so I didn't feel like I was gonna pass out. But then I had that feeling of my stomach eating myself while training, which I'll just cover up with drinking more water. And then I'll have a sandwich at night. So that was my diet from for about seven years. And that, was, that wasn't actually picked up until I stopped training um when I was 17 so and that's only because I started losing the muscle definition and my size where you could see my face started to look a lot more uh skeletal which is when there was um, someone actually pointed it out and said are you eating properly and that was the first time anybody's ever said that to me which made me think okay I need to actually um start doing something about that which being vegan um really helped because I still I, don't, I think if it wasn't for being vegan, I probably will still would have still had a problem with my weight mm -hmm. and size. And it's a way of controlling what I eat, but without controlling how much I'm eating. Um, because obviously eating a lot more vegetables is low in calories, which is great. And I don't really worry so much about it. Um, so when it comes to gymnastics, the eating side, obviously that has affected me. Um, but I tell you with the vegan, there was also a few things that um, I wouldn't say to children as well. But I mean, in a whole, it's given me the discipline that I have today. It's um, kept my mind in one place and knowing if I don't concentrate, then I'm going to hurt myself. And it's just a general discipline I have over myself, which has definitely uh, brought me to where I am today. Hmm. Okay. Um, so yes, yeah, so, I mean, there's lots of uh, sort of obviously low points in there, but coupled with positives you've taken and applied to your life now, which obviously is great. Um, were there any particular standout high moments for you, like just one-off memories that have stayed with you from competing? Yeah, definitely. I mean, we we travelled around to because uh, I was an international gymnast as well. So we went to Luxembourg and um, I remember going to Malta and going on to, we went to water slides and went swimming and um, watching my coach go down the slides, um, 
screaming their head off. It's always uh, very enjoyable for a gymnast watching someone, um, one of your coaches screaming from fail, going down a water slide. Um, and we've went ice skating and we've done a lot of um, team bonding things together um, outside of the country, as well as just a day trip, which I'll always remember. Okay, great. Um, but I don't think any young gymnast experience doesn't include injuries. Um, I don't know how it works out statistically, but I, I'm sure gymnastics is very high up the list in terms of attrition rate, particularly in young athletes. Um, so what, what injuries did you have throughout your gymnastics life and how did you get over them? Um, I have three, bulge, three, three mildly bulging discs in my lower spine overstretched ligaments in almost all my joints. I've had two operations on my wrist from torn ligaments. Um, I dislocated my hip and I've ripped my toe open. I broke my heel. Well, those are the ones that I had from gymnastics. Um, with the back, because that's the one that has stayed with me the longest, um, which is what actually took me to the transformation of going into calisthenics but my back was probably the worst one because when I stopped gymnastics it used to leave me floor bound for two weeks just from pain and not being able to move um when I when I broke my heel that was when I was 10 I I used to still go to gymnastics and train on the bars and do um, bar routines and anything else that wouldn't use that limb. So if I hurt my wrist, then it would just be legs. If I hurt my, so if I was doing, if I hurt my lower body, it'll be upper body work. If I hurt my upper body, it'll be lower body work. So I never did stop training ever. It was always substituting for something else. And with that also, um, my coach used to, I think that's probably why my wrist was so bad as well, because we was also taught to train through injuries unless it's really bad. Um, so with the wrist, I caught my finger on the vault with a quarter move. Do I was doing a Yuchenko. And what a Yuchenko is, is if you think of a cartwheel, um, but when you join your legs together, that would be a round off. So you put your hands onto the floor of the vault or the horse your hands onto the floor and do like a cartwheel or round off onto the springboard so that you're facing backwards to the vault you jump backwards and put your hands onto the vault and then you do a somersault off of it and in the um, cartwheel bit I caught my middle finger underneath my hand jump backwards put my hands onto the vault which I just after the first um, initial finger going under that I felt a pop and then I jumped back carried on looked to my hand, moved it, thought, okay, I can still move my fingers, I can still uh, move my hand, let me carry on training. I'd done two or three more after that, and then I just physically couldn't move my fingers from how much pain I was in, and ended up having membrane growth on my wrist and having two keyhole um, operations because the bones kept on rubbing together from where I damaged it so much. And I was gonna go for a third one, um, but they said if I had a keyhole surgery, it's probably pointless because I've had two on it already. And if I cut completely across, um, it would limit the movement in the wrist. So, or I could have steroid inject injections, which um, 
was an option. I really didn't want any steroid injections. So I just decided to leave it and just train through the pain, which again is something that's led on to calisthenics, which I, I've, um, has really helped. Um, obviously the people listening at home can't see this, but Simone, you can. My, my, uh, my eyes is glazed over as you explain the complex routines in gymnastics. <laughs> I didn't really know any of the words. Um, but in summary, obviously, it led to uh, some serious wear and tear on your joints um, and those injuries. And uh, although I don't understand what you're talking about when it comes to different cartwheels and hand positions, but we can summarize by saying uh, multiple injuries. Um, so, so obviously, the, so was, was it the back injury that really brought a curtain down on your gymnastics career? Or was it more the accumulation of all the different injuries? It wasn't actually injuries that stopped me. Um, I started losing the love for calisthenics when probably about five years before I actually stopped. But I found that where home life was, um, basically I wanted to stop gymnastics when I was about seven. My mum asked me to give her five reasons why I wanted to stop. And if I can, then I'm sure let me stop. And I couldn't think of any. So I carried on and um, which led me to keep on going. But home life, my parents didn't really talk much. Um, so because they never spoke to each other, they tend to not really, then I don't think they noticed how much they were ignoring me at the same time. So uh, I found that gymnastics was my getaway from home, which is what carried me on for so many more years. Um, when my parents finally decided to move out or they decided to completely separate, it took about two years for me to realize the whole reason I didn't wanna be at home was because both my parents there not talking was a very uncomfortable place to be. And now that wasn't there, there wasn't a reason for me to want to carry on, especially because I was doing my GCSEs. I was falling behind because I was training six days a week for three and a half hours after school, Saturdays and on Sundays as well. So my only day off was on a Thursday. So where I was falling back without, I wasn't able to do my coursework and I wasn't able to study and my GCSEs was coming up and there wasn't a real reason for me to want to carry on. And that's what led me to actually stop. So, so you finished, was you roughly about 16 then when you stopped or was it earlier than that? 17. 17, okay, great. 16, um, 17, I was... Um, so was the transition to calisthenics instantaneous or did you have a longish period of um, not competing in between? There was a break. Um, I sought to message when I was 17. I started dancing, which between you and me, I can't dance to save my life um, mm. without someone telling me what steps to do. Um, I started personal training when I was 19. Um, and then my back went again, which was the last time my back went. And my dad was kind of like, this is, this can't keep, um, this can't keep happening so we went to a uh, physiotherapist which then said I need to go to um, NHS and get a scan which led to the diagnosis of the bulging disc um, and they turned around to me and said 
that I can go back to a physio and they could give me core exercises. But because I'm a personal trainer, um, I just need to do core exercises and keep it strong. What hurt my back the last time was when I was lifting up a weight to do, I think I was doing deadlifts or something. And that's what kind of led my back to go. So I thought, okay, I'm just going to do bodyweight exercises from now on which is when I started to train in calisthenics. One of my friends showed me a video about calisthenics and I was like, I want to try and do that. So I watched a few videos and taught myself how to do a muscle up. And then um, the gym that I was working at, which was Virgin Active, um, the ceiling wasn't um, high enough for me to be able to do muscle ups properly. So then I moved to a different gym and carried on training um then I someone spotted me and said you should compete in the world championships in Russia which uh, my first calisthenics competition was the world championships which was very bold move um I came fifth in that one um but yeah and that's where it all started so it, it started there but obviously led to greater things so um you became the world champion correct uh, tell me a little bit about uh, what that entails. Uh, well, I became the world championship, um, world champion in 2017, and I first started competing in 2015. So the first competition, I came third actually in the first world championship. Um, it entailed I was training for three, four days a week for about three hours um, on. Some days would be reps, so pull-ups, push-ups, dips, muscle-ups, all the uh, typical calisthenics moves. And then there'll be two or three days of skill base and routine. So it'll be dynamic moves. So that's when you do the 360s. So when you let go, you turn all the way around and catch the bar again and jumping over the top of the bar and to do more of the, the show busy type of calisthenics moves. And the other days will be more static so doing the planches and the handstands the front levers and back levers and those kind of stuff but then it also um, did depend on what the weather was like so if it was cold it would definitely be more the static stuff when it started getting a bit warmer then it'll be more the dynamic stuff okay um so for a layman like me explain how uh, you judge a calisthenics competition because normally in strength training so power lifting olympic lifting it's whoever can lift the most like a cumulative amount of weight uh wins basically to, to oversimplify those sports um but obviously in your case there is no weight so is it a lot more about artistic flair or is it still purely about strength how do you how do you go about judging that um, well, you'll have four different, um, four different judges. You'll have a strength judge, a power judge, um, a strength dynamics combo and statics. So the statics judge will, um, will count all the moves that are being held for three seconds. So let's say if you go into a handstand um, and you're holding up for three seconds, then it will count depending on how difficult this skill is, depends on how many marks you'll get for those. You have your combos, so how cleanly you, you connect your moves. So let's say you do a 
hop over into a backswing 360. So a hop over the top of the bar and catching it on the other side. Um, swinging forwards, when you come backwards, you'll let go of the bar, turn all the way around and catch it. So it's connecting the dynamic moves very cleanly and how different the combos are. The power moves would be all the stuff that's like a muscle up or her festo pushing up into handstand. So her festo is basically a backwards muscle up. So your hands will be behind your back and you go into like a bicep curl and you'll push up so that the bar's behind you rather than in front into a behind the back um, dip or a Korean dip. Um, and a push up to handstand. So those skills would be more of your power moves and you'll get different um, difficulty points for how hard the skill is. And then you have your dynamics, which will be those moves, like I said, the muscle and um, the 360s, the hopovers, uh, the 540s and how difficult those skills are and how many you can combine together. And those will be the four judges and the judges will judge only on whatever mm -hmm. they are meant to be judging on. So if they're doing strength, they'll only judge the strengths. All the coaches, all the judges will come together, calculate the points, and then the person with the highest points will go into the next round. Okay, so it sounds to me like it's probably actually more aligned with, say, um, the men's rings or pummel horse in gymnastics and it would be aligned with say olympic lifting would that be correct definitely yeah it, it seems to me that actually your journey isn't a million miles away from my first guests in charlotte you both um obviously did gymnastics at a young age and you did more gymnastics you did cheerleading injuries and various other reasons forced you to change path um, but what is, it, what, is it, what is quite interesting for me is your sport is entirely about strength and power to weight and all various elements of total body strength, basically. Um, and it doesn't, unlike Charlotte, it doesn't involve any aesthetics in terms of body aesthetics. Do you find it hard, perhaps, to entirely focus on your strength goals? when so it's hard, I mean, trying to think of a good example but say a rugby player um often when they cut weights and become shredded they are worse at rugby because they they need that sort of body fat percentage to make them better at the game um would you be tempted ever to say put on more mass that would maybe be a detriment to your competition or you know lose mass or basically if change your body composition to be more aesthetically pleasing as opposed to purely beneficial to competition? I guess it depends on what you specialize in when it comes to the competition. I was more of the strength and power type of athlete. So the lighter I was would um, always help me when it came to competing. So I would probably have about two or three shots of um, espressos and then go to the toilet about five times before I actually compete because I'm completely empty um mm. but yeah it's not something that we really pay much attention to um when it comes to I mean in calisthenics the lighter you are the easier it is to do anything really but 
border strength stuff, you need to be strong. So you have to have the muscle build to be able to do it. So it's just literally if you can carry yourself to be able to do the skills. Yeah, I remember seeing an in interesting interview with uh, Ross Edgley before, and he uses the term, make your body a tool, not an ornament um, or something to that effect. And that's probably very true for people like you. It's not about making your body um, aesthetically pleasing. It's about making it as, as perfectly designed as it can be to perform the moves you do. So that probably, that probably fits really well, actually, with, with your approach. Yeah, definitely. I mean, there's, you can't try and look a certain way while trying to do something. So I'd 100% agree with that. Okay. No, um, no, I was just going to say, especially like, um, I know, like, um, I don't know, when it comes to calisthenics, you tend to be cut anyways. Um, but you do find that there's a lot of things that you do is one side dominant. So when you go into the one arm stuff, you always tend to do one arm, um, one arm move on the same side, which I've seen um, a few of the people that used to be in my old team, um, their spines would use, used to bend to one side just because of, let's say, how many times they've done a back lever on one arm. And when you're doing that skill, you have to twist your body to that side, which then overdevelops one side of your body, so to speak. So you do have that that element of it as well. Yeah, okay, of course. Um, okay, so I I watched this clip of you earlier. So of course, after calisthenics, well, during calisthenics, you then also became probably the coolest job title you can have, which is a ninja warrior. Um, and like all British men, after about two minutes of watching this clip, I was immediately an expert in all things calisthenics and ninja warrior based just as I was an expert in gymnastics horse riding and volleyball during the olympics um so tell me what was that experience like on the whole of uh, competing at ninja warrior yeah, it's amazing I mean it's very interesting firstly you don't actually get to try any of the obstacles before you do it you get to see it and that's it you get to see someone um, perform it. So they do a run and go all the way to the end. But apart from that, it's literally you, you get taken into a room, you warm up, you get taken to where the, um, the obstacle is, you have your go, and then it's up to you whether you want to stay and carry on watching everyone else or if you want to go. And then by the end of the two or three days of filming, you get an email saying if you made it to the next round or not. And then, yeah, if you did, then you have to go back up and do the same thing again. And yeah, it was kind of, it was very interesting. It was, um, it was a lot different to what I expected it to be, where the day was short but fast, in a sense that waiting around was the long part. But once you've done, it's like, you're done, that's it. And as you can see, when you're doing the clip, it usually takes about three or five minutes. And after that three or five minutes, it goes past so fast that it's like a blur. And then you watch it, it's like, I don't remember doing Oh, yeah, I do remember doing that kind of thing. So it was a very cool experience. 
so did, did they approach you or how did you, how did you get involved in Ninja Warrior? I was teaching a calisthenics class um, with a few um, with a few people and they said that I should do it and they done a form for me. Um, I'm not sure if they um, if that form actually led them to pick me, but then I also got a direct message on Facebook from somebody asking if I'll be interested in joining the show. And um, that was probably a couple of weeks before the close of the show itself. So I'm not sure if it was through them sending in a form for me or whether it was that someone was just looking through Facebook and trying to find somebody that would fit the show. Hmm, okay. Um, and then so what is, what is the show like in terms of behind the scenes? Is it um, is it like a big green room full of great athletes and you just have great warm-up facilities or is it sort of the show looks good on the outside but behind the scenes it's just a curtain and then nothing just an empty room were you well looked after what was the whole overarching experience around being on the show yeah it was very well looked after they gave us lots of snacks that you could go and eat um there was a changing room um so that you can obviously get changed in they set up a tv so that you could watch each other doing it while it was going on um and had loads of chairs out and we we're all in the back and screaming at the tv for each other um there was also a bunch of papers so that you could um, look at what the obstacles are and then when it was your turn there'll be you'll be taken to a room where there'll be a pt that will take you through a warm-up and then after that warm-up you will it depends some to the green room and you'll go stand in front of the green room and you do your poses or your smiles they'll have an interview um and then you'll be taken to it um just behind the audience um watching everybody on another screen and then you'll be taken up and say and they'll let you know when to go up the stairs um if you want to do something on the top of the um, stage then you can if not then you'll just go for your go and then once the water is completely freezing, I'm pretty sure I had hypothermia halfway through. <laughs> but it's, um, yeah, it's really, as soon as you touch the water, um, you're out. And it's like you could, if, even if it was just a toe, as soon as the water uh, ripples, then the buzzer will go off, which I thought was quite cool to see. But yeah, it's a lot of fun. I think the uh, the question every Ninja Warrior fan wants me to ask is, did you get to meet Chris Kamara? No, they get taken into a their own little room, so you kind of see them go past really quickly. I spoke to Rochelle, which was awesome, but yeah, you don't really get to talk to them so much. This kind of like they they have to be. Um, by oh well on the top by the where are they on the stand so unless you get all the way up there to talk to them there you don't really see them in the backstage and no that, actually I didn't <laughs> that is a shame I'm sure um okay so I suppose what's um so you mentioned you were a world champion obviously you had your tv appearance and your um 
minor celebrity level coming from uh, Ninja Warrior. Uh, anything else you got planned for the future in terms of competing? Are you interested in like parkour, free running? Um, I, I watched on TV the other day actually this competitive tag league thing, which is quite cool. Um, anything weird and wonderful planned for the future? Yes, there is something coming up, but I'm not allowed to mention it. Um, so you just have to wait and see for that one. Um, I was on an episode of Operation Ouch, um, which was pretty fun as well on Wonderful Bodies. I can't remember which season or series it was, but I was on um, Operation Ouch, which was pretty fun. That's a CBB TV program, if you didn't know. Um, in terms of competing, if I'm going to compete, I probably won't do so much of the calisthenics, but more of the rep side of things. So um, how many pull-ups I can do in a minute or and then like races um, in terms of that side. I have thought about calisthenics, but in the first world championships that I'd done when I came third, I sprained, I fell off the bar and sprained both my ankles at the same time. And I haven't fully recovered from that. I'm still, I mean, there's still a few things where I'll do it and I can still feel the ankles a little bit. But apart from that, my legs aren't at the full ability for me to want to push into parkour yet. But it has crossed my mind a few times. Um, yeah. I've tried bouldering. It's fun, but not something that I would like to do as a sport. Maybe just like a hobby, but competitively. I think I would just like to take a seat, a step back and help other people to compete and watch others with their journey in calisthenics. Yes, that's how we find you now, actually. Now you're you're in a you're a coach and a personal trainer. Um I suppose do you get more satisfaction working with a complete novice? Or do you get more satisfaction from seeing someone accomplish an amazing trick or a great piece of calisthenics? Is it where where do you think your passion lies more? A bit of a bit of both, and in, and um, helping people with their injuries because I have my sports massage qualifications as well. So I do um, do that along with some of my clients, um, but I like. I don't know I like like for example one of my clients goes to a chiropractor and she would used to go and see her once a week for about two and I used um training her and as I've been training her her chiropractor actually asked me to come in so that she could give me a treatment and talk to me about her um about my client and said that what I've been doing to her has really helped and um she doesn't need to go back and see her until just a follow-up and a checkup within three months which um hearing that from some from a chiropractor point of view calling me in to say that I'm doing a great job is really I think that's probably the best achievement that I've had um from personal training altogether but I also love like I've got another client that came to me being able to just about do one chin up and in the past three months he's now accomplished to do he can now do three and a half chin ups which he I mean we're both seeing the improvements and 
it's just nice to take people through their fitness journeys but then it's also great to have those clients that are more accomplished and can do the muscle ups and teaching them how to do cooler tricks like the 360s and hopovers and watching them combining more skills together and building up their strength in that sense as well uh yeah that must that must be amazing i think that was a similar approach to what dom had in episode two the idea of um how he really found enjoyment in teaching so i always i expected him to be more bitter um looking back on how his competitive life kind of ended and or at least put on pause um actually he actually really enjoyed that whole growth phase and seeing um in his case young students at school just developing and becoming better players and he actually found that more rewarding than playing i think yeah but um but i've always found i think because of my lack of calisthenic awareness in general i've always found it really interesting people who can demonstrate a skill at any point which um both gymnasts and sort of say calisthenic athletes can do the ability to whack out a backflip or a handstand walk at any point is very impressive you look at top athletes all around the world let's just take um adam Peaty for example uh, olympic swimmer if he wants to demonstrate his skill he needs 50 meters of water to do so um whereas someone like you can be walking along the road and suddenly i said crack out a handstand and walk a considerable distance with uh, i don't know some balance on your feet um so do you have a particular party skill? Is this something that you're always cracking out in the opportunity? Uh, yeah, handstands, hollow body. So a hollow body would be on your hands and bending your feet backwards. If there's a chair, then I'll do a handstand or a chair or in between something. Um, if there's scaffoldings, then you can always do pull-ups and muscle-ups, back levers, front levers, all of those. Um, I used to be able to do a front lever on a door frame until I broke my finger a couple of years ago doing calisthenics. I've done a, um, a 360 and instead of grabbing the bar, my hand went into the bar and I broke my finger and fractured it in two places, which uh, wasn't fun. I tried to carry on training after that, but I couldn't bend it. so. Had to call it a day. <laughs> so bend, yeah. <laughs> I can do about summer sorts, but I haven't done them in a, a few months. So I probably should get to trying that when the floor's a little bit drier. <laughs> okay, so if um if I was to come to you now, um, someone who like I said isn't the most calisthenic aware, I can do. Some, I can do some pull-ups, I can do some very basic bodyweight exercises, but where would we even start in trying to develop me into someone who can do muscle-ups and balance on one hand and handstand? At the moment, I can barely do a forward roll. So where does, where does that process even start? Um, well, I get everybody to start doing their frog balance which if you know yoga, it's kind of like a crow balance, but your knees are further out to the side rather than your knees on the upper part of your arm. So I tend to get everybody to start off with that just so that they understand the concept of balancing with their fingertips as well as the palm of their hands and realizing how much strength the fingertips have. 
um, in comparison so that when you go into learning how to do a handstand which will probably be one of the first skills I'll teach it kind of just makes you understand how much more you need to balance with your fingers rather than just on the palm of your hands um, if it's a muscle up then it's literally um, just strengthening up the muscles and learning the technique rather than having the strength for it because a lot of people have the strength but don't have the right technique to be able to actually fulfill the skill so a lot of it is to do with um, technique and just those little pointers that really help to progress the calisthenics journey okay um yeah uh i think you'd have your work cut out if it came to trying to teach me any of this stuff um <laughs> I, used to, I used to do forward rolls but i'd probably describe myself looking more like an egg so i'd roll halfway and then <laughs> run, out, run out of momentum and i'd roll back or roll to a side um <laughs> if i was lucky i'd end up doing a forward roll but end up facing the wrong direction um or roll into some other object so you certainly have your work cut out there what i am interested in actually is as a slightly broader subject is um I, I think potentially in the English education system, there isn't enough calisthenic work in young people. Um, this is something I wanted to explore in more depth with a teacher, potentially in a future episode. But um, I think kids potentially learn skill-based activities too early, um, or at least not alongside general strength stuff. So for example, you'll get like a four-year-old who can throw a rugby ball or, you know, hit a hockey ball, but might not be able to perform like basic movement patterns, won't be able to run freely or have uh, the correct stuff drilled into them. And then if you fast forward that forward to say um, teenagers, particularly teenage boys at about 16, they get into the gym or even younger, they start putting on muscle in the, you know, the glamour areas. So you gain muscle in your arms and chest, et cetera. But there's lots of people who can perhaps do a decent bench lift, but can't even do a pull up or can't even, uh, don't have any sort of core stability. So do you think actually perhaps athletes as a whole in terms of injury prevention, injury management would benefit from everyone having a better baseline calisthenic strength? Yeah, definitely. Um, I think when it, well, calisthenics, as I um, said before, it's the reason why I don't have any back pain and the reason why I stopped having wrist pain as well. Like um, I didn't really fully go into when I was meant to have the third operation on my wrist, um, the whole reason why I didn't end up having that and I don't feel any pain is because I carried on training it and just muscles around my wrist developed enough for me to actually have a lot more support in it so I do feel with calisthenics even if it's just doing a basic push-up properly and engaging the core while doing that and pull-ups um, it's definitely more useful and I mean I know a lot of people that can lift heavy weights when it comes to let's say a lap pull down which potentially the same muscles being used for a pull-up but won't be able to pull themselves up because it's different muscle twitches 
and it's more likely that you'll need to be able to pull yourself up in an everyday basis than it is for you to be able to pull a weight down unless you're going to be I don't know hooking a piece of string over a building and tying it on a load of stones and pulling it that way but even when you because you can pull yourself up that would still be a very easy thing to do um so in terms of calisthenics yes i think it should be something that everybody should learn especially when it comes to um injury prevention especially when it comes to stretching warm-up and stretching um but in the same breath i'll also say that you can't teach a fish to climb a tree <laughs> um yeah, that's very good um so so would you would you say grown-ups uh, people who have competed in sport for a long time would they benefit from having say one calisthenic session a week added into their training program and if in a sport which has nothing to do with strength so or well has nothing directly to do with strength so say a hockey player or uh, or a swimmer etc would they benefit from just having that half hour hour a week where they focus on whole body strength Yeah, definitely. I mean, if you think about, um, especially for the older generation, if you look at Pilates, Pilates is a type of calisthenics. So calisthenics actually means beautiful strength in Latin, which is anything to do with body weight movement. So even Pilates and yoga is considered calisthenics. Um, so when it comes to working through the body, as you know, especially for the older generations, they always say go to Pilates and go to yoga, which will help to um, stabilize and strengthen the body, um, et cetera. So calisthenics, especially when it comes into those, um, to the harder strengthening moves like the pull-ups and push-ups, it is still working through your body and making you understand how to use your body without having to put extra strain on it using heavy weights. And if you do want to make those exercises harder, you can, I mean, there is that option of adding weights to you while doing that exercise, but then you have different um, ways of making them harder. For, for example, time over tension or how many reps you're doing or um, how, what skill you're actually doing um, when in terms of the pull up, for example, where your hands are, so how close are they, how wide are they, all of those different factors will make a difference to the training, which will make it harder, but yet still teach you how to have the mobility and the strength in the body as long as it's being done properly. Yeah, I think um, I think a lot of people probably have rediscovered calisthenics potentially during this year of lockdowns. Um, having those gyms taken away from people, people suddenly have started using these outdoor gyms where you're reduced down to doing whether it be pull-ups or bench dips or um, sort of incline, de-incline, press-ups, etc. Um, or just doing home workouts. So I suppose I wonder whether people will now maybe take some of those things they've developed at home or um, sitting in the parks back into the gym with them. So maybe people will have more calisthenic and body weight stuff in their sessions or will people completely forget what they've done this year and just go back to their old habits because i know i know for one for a long time i probably didn't do 
I would have gone for the major lifts. So your deadlifts, your bench press, your maybe your squats, keen and jerks, etc. Um, and perhaps we'd do a lot less pull-ups, bench dips, just general body weight stuff, which as I think lockdown's proven can be equally effective in many ways. Yeah, I do think um, body weight exercises is very underlooked. I mean, if you take it, if you look at it from this um, aspect, when I was doing gymnastics, I never done any weights whatsoever. I probably done one weighted exercise and that's not even something that you would necessarily do in a gym environment. It was a very gymnastics training, learning how to do a skill kind of um, conditioning. But when I was training, it would literally be push-ups with your feet um, with your feet up and handstand push-ups and all of those kind of things. And when I went into a gym and I was um, in that gym environment, I could bench press 10 to 12 of, I don't know, 30, 50 kgs. And I weigh about 56 kgs. And that was without training weights ever before in my life so from doing gymnastics and just doing bodyweight exercises to then going into the gym not touching weights but straight off the back being able to do 50 kgs on the bench press it just shows how much your body can build without having to use those extra weights yeah no of course um that is quite interesting I've got I've got quite a few friends who I'm sure are envious of the 50 kg bench press they're still uh they still got that on the horizon. Um, have your so obviously as you develop calisthenics and you develop strength um, in the body weight discipline, do you if you walked into a gym today and there was a barbell on the floor with some weights on it, um, and taking away your injury side of things, would you would that strength you've got translate into being able to lift a heavy weight still? Or would you still be limited because your body's only trained under body weight tension? Or would you be able to walk in and lift a much heavier weight than you probably expect for someone who doesn't do weights? I definitely feel that um, if there was a bar in it, I mean, I'll go to the gym um, now because my other half um, doesn't particularly, she hasn't got the strength to be able to do bodyweight exercises yet, but we're working on it. So we do go to the gym and we're training up and I do find that if I'm going to lift a weight, I'll lift more than what I look like I should or could lift. And I do think it is a lot to do with A, my core strength and B, just the general calisthenics exercises I've been doing. Yeah, I have to take my partner to the gym as well because she's not quite ready yet to do the bodyweight exercises. But I'm slowly building her up, so she'll be there soon. <laughs> Um, um okay so the, the final thing really i wanted to speak about was um you meant you alluded to it earlier but you're a plant-based athlete um and mm -hmm. that is actually something which i've started to uh integrate into my sort of training regime so i'm certainly not plant-based at the moment but what i do do is I have my breakfast and lunches are all plant-based. Any food I eat pre-training is always plant-based. But my dinners for probably four days of the week, I still have meat or animal products. 
But the reason why I started to transition down that route is my research and my personal experience has shown that I've had profound effects on my cardiovascular endurance from not having uh, animal products in my diet pre pre-training for that you know we're 18 hour window pre-training and particularly pre-game um so obviously so i know myself the effects it has on cardiovascular endurance uh, how have you found plant-based has affected your strength training i definitely felt within the i went straight from um eating meat to completely cutting it out of my diet um, and I did find that for the first month, I felt very tired and sluggish. But then after that, I just had this boost of energy that I had no idea where it came from. And I felt a lot stronger and a lot more, yeah, a lot stronger. And my immune system was a lot stronger as well. So I find that where beforehand I would have colds maybe two, three times a year. Um, unless I don't sleep properly, I don't think I've actually been ill this year yet. That's interesting. Still got actually. A couple of weeks left, a few weeks left. <laughs> yeah, I um, I you, there's a, there's a I don't often think about the immune system benefits, but that is that is true actually. I haven't particularly had any illnesses myself. Um, but there is a common misconception that you struggle to get the protein intake if you go plant-based so when you're talking about strength muscle building strength building people a lot of people believe you need to have those you know your poultry and your milk etc your whey protein to get that um, enough protein in you to, to build muscle um, that obviously in your case isn't true uh, but how how do you hit those protein requirements using only plant-based sources Well, when it comes to the protein, um, as you may or may not know, you have nine essential proteins. And it is, especially when it comes to the protein um, substitutes that you have in a vegan diet, you don't always get all nine of them. But surprisingly, quinoa is probably one of the only grains that I know of that you can actually I think it's a, a super cereal or something like that I know it's not a grain but anyway you there's actually all nine um, essential proteins in quinoa which I thought was very interesting um, in terms of like a weekly diet it is a case of um, the changing and making sure that you have different things on your plate and I mean I don't know if you know much about chakra, which is probably complete. Well, it is completely off of the topic of um, the fitness. But if you think of your chakras and you have your different colors for each of the chakras of your body and how some things say that you should eat the um, the colors of the, um, of the vegetables or fruits in terms of the chakra, it's not 100% wrong because in, let's say, your red fruits, you have something that's going to help more with your blood. And then in the orange fruits, it's more with your um, your skin and immune system. So all the different colors of the um, rainbow of fruits and vegetables will help with different things in your body, which just helps with the 
immune system and getting your vitamins and minerals and your proteins you have in your um, your legumes so your beans your lentils the different things that you can get your proteins from and just having a mix and a rainbow of food on your plate is going to give you a whole better health and fitness um, and more energy because you're putting more energy into your body with the different types of vegetables and fruits and legumes um, from your diet. Yeah, I mean, I there's miss cheese, though. I'm not going to lie. I really do miss cheese. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I certainly would miss cheese. Uh, I did try some very nice um, vegan cheese this week, actually, made from uh, cashew uh, nuts, which was um probably as close to the real things i've ever come across but um but you know it's actually interesting because there, there is a whole world of benefits and some um potential drawbacks from a vegan-based diet and a plant-based diet um i know for me it was my reason to go predominantly plant-based was based on its uh said its benefits to me from a fitness point of view and um i I found the benefits were outstanding for a very short period of time. So when I mean, this is obviously scientific evidence, I don't have all the data and it was only done using, you know, fitness apps and um, my own sort of anecdotal evidence. But I, I switched from sort of eating healthy. So, you know, your standard chicken, rice and veg or you know chicken sweet potato veg like a pretty healthy diet and I was running 10k in sort of about 46 minutes roughly or like on, a, on average road race throughout the uh, summer I switched to plant-based and I had plant-based only pretty much for a week um, and that was that was it about a week I changed nothing else same uh, running gear same shoes same roughly the same course and a week later, I knocked off the best part of sort of five minutes of that time. Um, and I was running at around about 40 minutes, I think about 40 minutes, 30 seconds for 10K, um, which for me was uh, well, a, a ridiculous difference. You can't I mean to knock that much time off over one week. And so it wasn't like I hadn't ran before. I've been running continuously for months before that. So um I think at that moment I looked back and I went, this is incredible. I finished, finished the 10K and it was like I'd ran about five meters. I wasn't out of breath. I felt great. I wasn't tired. I could have ran another 10K easy. Um, so I think since that moment onwards, I really have gone, actually, maybe this isn't just some um, hippie rubbish or whatever. This isn't just some, uh, some concepts which are great in theory, but don't actually have any real application. I think from that moment onwards, I've really thought, right, maybe it's a sign which has a lot of lot going for it. And potentially, and who knows, maybe long term, I will transition into a full plant-based diet, as you've done, and maybe those benefits will become more long term. Yeah, oh, that's awesome. Um, I think, well, it definitely helps with me. I wouldn't say it will work with everybody, though. For example, um, people that suffer with IBS, you find that cruciferous, um, cruciferous uh, vegetables, so like Brussels sprouts and broccoli and those kind of vegetables tend to flare up the IBS, which I mean, when you're um, having 
a vegan based diet I do tend to if I really can't be bothered I'll just go straight for the broccoli which is very simple or the cauliflower and just have that as um, on a side with let's say chickpeas and maybe some rice and if you do suffer from IBS those kind of things can flare it up which isn't always the best thing um but I mean it always it all the everybody has different bodies and you can't ever say that one size fits all because it doesn't and I'm definitely not one of those vegans that's going to say oh yes vegan is the best thing save the planet save the earth um save all the animals although I love animals I've got to myself um it's more and in a health and fitness way of looking at it you have to listen to your body I know for some people it was the best thing for other people they find that it does suit the way that their body intakes it so it's like people with allergies for example and nuts is a very good um, fat source and there's a lot of people that's got fat um, that's got nut allergies so in that sense it wouldn't be ideal for them so it definitely depends on what kind of body you have and what works for everybody yeah no you, you took the words fair enough actually with um one size doesn't fit all that's that is correct um and actually i think a lot of the evidence you see is always a little bit questionable so uh so i found benefits myself so i can talk about how it's affected me um i think one person who probably really pricked my interest early on is a guy called rich roll who you might be aware of um he's a podcaster and endurance athlete from america um competes in iron men's and ultra ultra men's i think it's called ultra iron men's and these really long distance events um someone who i've been big fan of for a while but he he turned to a plant-based diet and he now runs like a vegan um he has like a cookbook and a whole um community of people who follow him based on his journey going from being unhealthy to being plant-based and obviously he puts all his um success on being a plant-based athlete um however if you look at his history before turning plant-based he was really overweight um he had a history of alcoholism etc so sometimes you go well, what could he have achieved if he went from eating, say, burger and pizzas to eating, you know, well-prepared, grass-fed um, beef and chicken and vegetables? So if he went from an unhealthy diet to a healthy meat-containing diet, would he still have been successful? Is it also the plant-based? Is it just due, due to the fact he's taking his health more seriously now? So you always have these sort of question marks over it. But I said, but from my personal point of view, I felt benefits, so I can only talk about that. I think um, a lot with being vegan, which I find as well, is that because um, obviously it worked for me. It's um, I feel a lot stronger and more a lot more healthier from being vegan. So I will definitely promote it as well. But I think with being vegan, you it's a lot harder to eat unhealthy. I mean, there is unhealthy things that are vegan that you can also have, but it's you have more of a different mentality when you say that I'm vegan. You want to be eating well. You want to be having a better diet. You don't want to be 
um, doing a lot more things. You don't want to do anything that's going to de um, detriment or damage your body as if you can eat and drink anything, then you would. Whereas if you're having a cap on what you can and can't eat, you're more knowledgeable and more aware of the things that you're putting in your body, which is definitely on a mental side of things, really helps um, with achieving your body goals and your life goals. Yeah, um, I would just like to add in here, um, obviously in my professional role as a, as a clinical pharmacist, etc., um, I think you'd be responsible not to mention obviously switching to a plant-based diet is a massive lifestyle choice and it's one that requires a lot of research and making sure you're taking when necessary the correct supplementation um, and you make sure you're hitting all your main food groups. Um, it's perfectly possible to be a vegan person or vegan athlete, plant-based athlete and just eat ready salted crisps every day. Um, or some other sort of high fat, very little nutritional benefit meal. So um, certainly don't take it lightly, but I found their benefits and so many other people found there are benefits to perhaps pursuing that, but certainly don't do it on a whim. Um, and particularly anyone young who's listening, just make sure you consult uh, literature and experts before you do so. Right, so to finish up, I just want to hand over to you we always finish with this sort of any other business. So is there anything from the world of sport, health, fitness, um, calisthenics, life you want to talk about to finish? Um, that's great. I enjoy living. <laughs> no, um, not really. I mean, I'm still doing my personal training. I'm still doing my massage, um, my masseuse stuff um yeah i'm enjoying everything i'm doing my instagram is ming underscore calisthenics and i also have another page which is relax and flex underscore which is where i'm i will start putting more of my um clients achievements and my group training sessions um i haven't mentioned i do work for a company called store warriors which is an amazing company. What they do is they take the knives from the Metropolitan Police and turns them into calisthenics gyms around London. And I am one of the coaches. So I deliver those sessions free of charge to the public as well, which um, is great. And the whole concept on behind them is awesome because they're really trying to give young people a different um a different perspective on life and giving something back to the community and giving them something more to do which is better for their health better for their fitness and hopefully um, will give them a different mentality in terms of um, achievements as well so very excited about that been working with them for just over a year now and really excited to see what else um, we do We've got programs coming out in the new year for um, young offenders as well. So we'll be working with young offenders from January, February and doing the programs with um, calisthenics and teaching them how to change their bodies and their mentality, like I said. Wow. So how do they, so they actually melt down the 
knives themselves and turn them into what well, like like pull up bars etc yeah so um there's three parks at the moment actually there's a few more there's one the one that i work in is in ruskin park um there's one in Frinchley road langdon park we're going to have one in Tottenham Hill, Wandsworth. We have one in the um, in Brixton Police um, Station as well. So we're going to be doing programs within the police um, in, in yeah in in the prisons. And I think there's one in Wandsworth one as well. So it's literally they take tons of knives from the Metro Police, melt them down and they use that as well as uh, recycled steel and yeah they're not just pull-up bars because some of them are longer and they have the um, parallel bars as well so and monkey bars so it's wow. really awesome sounds it yeah um so if someone wanted to get involved in that how could they go about is it just is it a turn up and participate or is there like a website yeah well um all the information is on the Still Warriors um, Instagram page. There is a website which is um, stillwarriors.co.uk, I believe. Um, but generally, once they know the time and the days, you just turn up to the gym, and myself or one of the other coaches will be there and we'll take you through a session. It may be a strength class or a hit class or a skills class, but one of us will be there and we'll just take you through all the skills and teach you how to use your body right okay yeah no, that's um yeah that's really i think that's really powerful i think um it never ceases to amaze me the importance of sport in improving people's lives um whether that be from a health perspective or just a socio-economic perspective um no, that's really interesting actually i think i'll look into that a bit more myself as well Okay, so I think uh, that more or less brings us to the end of our conversation. Um, it's been fantastic having you on. I think everyone must have learned something. And I'm going to add all the links to your Instagram, as well as um, some of your, your extra curricular activities and where people can find you and benefit from what you want to say. So just say thank you and it's been great to have you on. Yeah, thank you. It's been great talking to you. I thoroughly enjoyed catching up with Simone and understanding the psyche of someone who was the best in the world at what she did. From an injury point of view, Simone referenced training through injuries when she was younger. This seems to be such a common trait with my guests, whether that be on a hockey pitch, rugby pitch or cheerleading hall. It's probably too early to make any assumptions, even anecdotally, about whether the common trait here is they are all trained through injuries, therefore being successful, therefore on the pod, or whether these people have all trained through injuries, therefore have had long-term injuries, and therefore on the pod. It's also interesting to see a strength-based athlete benefiting from a plant-based diet. So often endurance athletes are highlighted as examples of the benefits of excluding animal products from your diet, but Simone has clearly proven the benefits to a strength athlete. Unfortunately, I stopped the interview a little early. I was very conscious of overrunning on time, 
But after the microphones were switched off, so to speak, we carried on talking about her role in rehabilitation of young offenders through sport. My career in pharmacy has given me the opportunity to work behind bars on a prison wing, and I've been able to understand probably now more than ever the benefits of rehabilitation and upskilling to avoid reoffending. And Simone provides a great example of this. Please remember to check out Simone on the socials, that's at Ming underscore calisthenics. And please remember to leave any reviews and ratings on Spotify or your podcast provider. And all that leaves me to say is thank you, hope you enjoyed the episode, and please stay safe. <laughs>